and this young girl who's in who grew up to be a woman in on the bottom of a concrete floor in solitary confinement during the same time Nelson Mandela was on Robben Island. I would love to think that the grace, the temerity, the fortitude, the perseverance, the agency, the spiritual congruence would somehow have an opportunity to make a difference in the world for the world no different than those people who are also doing what I'm doing but have the cachet the opportunity you're listening to find the good news episode 120 the permission slip a beacon series conversation featuring Regina Louise author of permission granted kick-ass strategies to bootstrap your way to unconditional self-love published by New World Library. Find the Good News is produced by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. See what else we do at parkerbrandup.com. Is there something in your life that you feel you should have done, but you just couldn't find it in yourself to get started? Maybe you had an internal and unspoken checklist of reasons that you believed were valid enough to keep your personal passions and dreams in check. You might have thought that you weren't old enough, young enough, wealthy enough, educated enough, attractive enough, supported enough, nurtured enough, or normal enough, whatever that means. I can absolutely recall the times that my inner critic has clubbed me into submission, even as I sit down to share these words with you. What would happen if you and I stopped casting internal stones and stopped believing the negative stories we tell ourselves and instead started a plan of self-encouragement that pushed us through the gravel of self-doubt? In this episode, I visit with Regina Louise, author of the new book, Permission Granted, Kick-Ass Strategies to Bootstrap Your Way to Unconditional Self-Love. Regina is an energetic light with an attractive vibe that makes you want to latch on to her message. It would be easy to say that she's overcome a lot in her life to get to this plateau where she can help others rise and thrive, but that simply doesn't do her story justice. She instead encourages us to wrap our arms around all the broken and damaged bits that weigh people down, that nasty checklist I mentioned earlier, and instead learn to grow through what we go through. In a world obsessed with celebrity, Regina uses her very real and sometimes painful story to advocate for the voiceless without the clout and fame that so many celebrities enjoy and squander. She wasn't groomed for success. Instead, Regina found a kind of truth in the bumpiness of her own edges. This allowed her to lay down false images of perfection that so many in our society cling to. In allowing her authentic self to blossom, unplugged from the dream of the mainstream, she now leans into and develops her natural gifts to help others realize the same self-love and personal freedom. Now, I encourage you to think about those fears and jeers you lay upon yourself, all those unnecessary fictions and frictions you've shackled yourself to, and find out what would happen if you loved yourself just as you are. Then tune your attention to this good news beacon and press play on a little good news. Wake up. Morning, dreaming up the story I can hear the way it's going, cause you're laughing in your sleep on the path to your deliverance and a holy ball of light through the window. Old news, bad news, fake news, 
Sometimes you want to shut those signals down and seek a better source. With my Find the Good News Beacon series, I tune into good people doing good works wherever I can find them. I scan across the full spectrum of life, seeking out human beings that have turned their dials towards helping others, aligning their time, resources, and talents with goodness, justice, mercy, and love. In each episode, I sync up with the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests. We have dynamic conversations that invigorate the mind long after our transmission has ended. I discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs that have anchored them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of background noise in the world. My name is Oren Parker, and I'm cutting through the static to find the good. I try to avoid going and watching other interviews because I don't want to... Uh, subconsciously mimic what they're already asking. You know, I want to keep it authentic to my, you know, this show right. and, and our, our own dynamic we're going to have. But I will say I broke that rule with you because the interviews were so interesting. I mean, <laughs> oh, yay. well, I, I didn't read, I'll say this, like I, I read your book, but I didn't read the other two before it, this one. And so I didn't really have any, um, I guess, I was picking up like all of this groundwork that I was going, okay, I want to know where this is coming from. And and while you do an excellent job of, of sharing that in the book, I just kept wanting to know more. And so I started listening to other interviews and I was like, man, there's so much to know about you. Oh yeah. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. I mean, right. A, a woman, who raises herself from a child to a grownish woman? I, I still feel like Tinkerbell. Uh, <laughs> you know. but, and how? How to navigate the? How to navigate and finesse the cultural mores, the values, the ways of being, the the expectations without having that modeled. You know, I in some way feel that my the choices I've made in my life throw attachment theory on its on its head. It flips the script on it because I honestly believe that what I've been able to do for my spirit has been nothing short of my human experience, nothing short of a spiritual endeavor it's where spirit meets bone or it cannot be disputed yeah it's indisputable those words you just use just that that's how i that just wraps it all together where spirit meets bone that your speak i felt like that when i was listening to your interviews and and reading the book that you were just speaking directly to and, I, and maybe I know you're speaking to everybody, but you just were in this sort of area that I appreciate so much, which mm-hmm. is the disenfranchised almost, you yeah. know, I mean, you're like in that crack trying to fill it with gold because there's so many people that are you said something in one of your interviews that I, I went back to over and over again in my mind before our conversation today and was, you know, all these studies and all this research that we do to put all these systems into place leaves out this sort of under deck layer 
of society. Mm. You know, if you're not, it, it's it's analyzing the middle class and upper class, and we're saying, oh, you know, you, you can have a great life. All your dreams can come true. Well, yeah, but those doors aren't closing daily. Some people have like the basic hurdles that they oh, got to yeah. get through. I mean, the very raw where spirit meets bone. I mean, bone yes. and bloody yes. hurdles yes. that they're, they're going, I can't even think about that yet. Well, first of all, we have to understand what it means to have the keys to the kingdom. And from what I've lived and understood, no one hands over the keys to the kingdom without a bit of blood and bone. Mm. Unless, unless it, it, it is, it is, you know, the, 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 in sociology, they have these, this language for how status comes about, ascribed right or attained ascribed status is what 50 percent of the american population that's how people come into their own as social agents as citizens is through ascribed status meaning that status is handed down 50 percent of americans have they they benefit from the hard work of the generation before them. Mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, uncles, family. 50% of Americans, 30% have to scrabble. So for those who scrabble in that 30%, you sort of make up that working middle class. And then there are those of us who aren't even, who aren't even, in that census in terms of status and and so we have to attain our status you know that 30 percent, and then so then there's this there's this thing that i understand in terms of poverty and illiteracy if the the, the one thing that changes the game for everybody who wants a chance in america to have that opportunity to create their own privilege and attain their status, one must, must master the simplicity of constructing sentences with middle class white sentence structure. Interesting. If, if you cannot compose, construct, construe, a middle class sentence structure because see that's your stair step out of all of it out of the disenfranchisement and if you cannot look someone in the eye who's on the other side of where you want to go and recognize that your capacity and ability to construct that sentence becomes the bridge to lead you from where you are to getting that comeuppance. If you don't get that, you don't get, you don't get that. You don't that is, get the boom. That is so interesting. I have, I've never heard anybody say that before. And I think you're right because, yeah. you know, and it's maybe not exactly the same thing, but I guess you have to look at myself, right? I have to look at like how I, I mean, it's, it's judgment, honestly. Like I have to look at myself and go, okay, what, what markers do I have? What judgmental markers do I have? And they're there. I mean, when I really look in the mirror and, and pick it apart, I go, okay, 
whenever I'm looking to bring somebody in, let's say to go talk to a customer, communication is like the first thing I think about. And how do we communicate? We communicate with our words and we communicate with our presence. And whether I may be fine with how anybody talks and how anybody communicates in my personal life, but I know that the clientele that I'm going to end up interfacing with don't feel the same way. So I have to put something in front that's, and I hate to call, I don't want to call it a facade or a ruse, but there's just this sort of modified formality that gets put out front. I do it. I mean, I don't do it so much on this show because that's not what the nature of this show is, but I do it when I'm having professional communications because I know that that's kind of what's expected. Now, maybe if I build a relationship and years go by and the trust forms, right? That's a whole different conversation. whole different thing. Then they're having personal. Then I can relax. But, you know, to get through the door, the gate, I have to put on the robes, you know, and wear the attire. So what I just hear you say is the codification that I must put on for the color of my skin where I, I, I distract the observer from my skin color, my hair texture, and what I do is take them to what's familiar. And the, mm. only, the only familiarity, and we only get one shot to do it, will be in my tonality the depth of my intelligence and how quickly I can take them there. I've learned to use the tone mm. of my voice, the speed of my voice. I know how to lead the listener to hang on to the edge of their seat where you could hear a cotton ball drop upon a pile of cotton. That's my winning formula, and that is the, that is the, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That is when we, the, the great equalizer between classes, mm. my ability to articulate. When people, unlike me, have that opportunity to experience me as maybe even smarter than them, they listen. That is interesting. I mean, to say it out loud, it's absolute. I, I see it play out as a truth. I mean, look, you know, here I am sitting here. I'm a sort of blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white guy, right? I mean, I don't have too. I ought to not, you know, have too many things blocking me in this culture, right? But I, I will say this, and this is just a small thing that I've noticed. I do have tattoos, right? And I have one on my forearm that I can't really cover up without wearing a long sleeve shirt. And it has a skull on it. I know that if I go into a meeting and I don't have that covered up, that is the only thing. I can watch the room. I'm very aware of people's eye movement. And they they will look at that a hundred times. It's a distraction. And I've, I've told my wife this. I said, I know that they're having thoughts. I wish I could know what they were thinking. They're having not, not positive thoughts. And that might be my assumption, but they're trying to make sense of it. Like, 
They're Wait a trying second. to find out where you relate to them and they relate That's to right. you. And so I've, I've actually gotten to where I just cover it up. I wear a long sleeve shirt. I don't care how hot it is. If I'm going to a meeting, I just cover it up. If I'm going to film something and I know my arm is going to be upholding the camera, I cover it up. And I, and it, I do. I make a regulation. I govern it. I, I, I cho- choose it because I know that it's, it's, a, it's in front of me. Like it's almost like it takes up the whole field. And so I take that and that's my only thing I can think of to even relate to what somebody who's going, okay, I have to, my, my race or my gender or my religion is like all out in front of me before someone can even see me and appreciate me as just like a human being, just like them. You know what? I love hearing you say this because it is in this moment sort of a, the moment you go and get that tattoo you have just outed yourself as other you have just othered yourself and so what i'm loving about this is your awareness of it one and your ability to speak about it two and you know i have a nose ring yeah. And the only reason I don't have a chest piece tattoo, the only reason or, you know, go Rihanna and get the little tiny tattoos is because of what you just said. I took my nose ring out because when I go and speak to conservative people in Utah or or Kansas City, Missouri or wherever conservatives live who invite me to come and speak, that would discount everything I said if I had a nose ring out. Isn't that something, though, that we are like that? That, And I say we, I mean, collectively, that those things are there. I mean, and I I won't lie. I mean, it'd be... I wish that I didn't have those things, but I know when I really sit in with my own thoughts and my own judgments, if I analyze them, I'm like, oh, I have things like that, too. Maybe the way someone speaks, even. I mean, like, you know, I'll go, oh, they're not going to get what I'm saying because they're speaking. Yeah. You know, I get it. I mean, right. I, I, right. I I see those things in myself. Oh, wait. A young black boy. I, this is how the oppressor lives in me, right? A young, this, and it happens to all of us all the time. The oppressive natures that govern us, that squelch our spirits that do the things they're intended to do, and we blindsidedly allow these things to happen. We we accept these things without investigation in order to belong, in order to scale up that ladder of having this. Unfortunately, for me as a Black woman, the oppressor, I have to daily check how the oppressor lives in me and be Mm. aware of it Mm -hmm. and be aware of it and understand that in this thing of hegemony none of us none of us get a true free pass sure people have their privileges they have what they get as a result of ascribed status for those who've been able to attain some modicum of the american dream but at the end of the day How that oppressor lives in me is something that will be my lifetime work. You know, 
where do I get to be comfortable being loud unapologetically without having that without having that be a stereotypical, you know, assessment mm-hmm. of my value. Or, and I could just go down the list of things, but for me, how does the oppressor live in me? What does the oppressor say to me about me that I believe? And in some ways, you just spoke about that too, right? Because to worry about what your tattoos look like, to worry about how you articulate your vowels or your consonants, that has oppression because if you if you are truly who you are in the face of you know a person from this class or that class you are already codifying how you do what you do in the face of what we perceive as a ruling class mm. so it's fascinating yeah no it is i mean i can see it in the business world for sure right and, and because i for instance, you know, if I've worked with, in a, with a particular clientele for maybe eight years, well, those relationships are very informal now. They're very human. I don't hold a lot back. They, that trust is, exists. I've proved myself. But when I get take new meetings, I, yeah. I go through this sort of almost like an anxiety cycle of the choice I have to make. Okay, do I want how much do I want a governor? my true nature, which I know will eventually come out, you know, over time, you know, and your book spoke to a lot of that for me. I mean, I, uh, giving myself permission is something that on analyzing it, I've been trying to do for a long time. I don't know where it started. Mm, tell me I was, more. I want to hear more. I was really fascinated at the things that started popping up as I was reading your book. You know, I was like, okay, so I know I struggle with this, and I've talked to my wife about this. For instance, we were talking about taking uh, small vacation trips, right? We don't get to really always go on a big family vacation because we do have a small business, so we are, we're tied to it a lot of times. So right. what we do is we we both – well, and this is – and let me stop right there. Micro trips have kind of become the way we do it. And I started noticing a while back that she would always have the best little micro trips. She'd plan them out with her friends or her family. She'd go and it would make them happen. And I wasn't doing that as much. And I started one night we had a conversation about it. And I said, well, I always I want to be available so you can go. I want to be here because we have kids and the business. I said, well, I want to make sure I'm here so you can go do these things. And then she was like, well, I don't even have those kinds of thoughts. I just think you're sitting around going, well, I'm going to plan some stuff for me to do, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm not giving. And I really, and I told her that I said, I have this strange uh, holdback. It was like, I'm telling myself, well, I don't, and this is the words I've told myself. And I mean, in my hell, in my head, I know this is what I say. Well, you don't deserve to have that kind of life. You're just, you're here mm-hmm to be sort of like something to lean on so other people can go have that. You're not for that. That's not for you. That's for others. And I started checking. And when she said, you don't, she goes, I never have thoughts like that. And you don't need to have those thoughts because I'm telling you, you have permission. She used the word. You have permission. And I was like, God, that's so sad that as an adult at 46 years old, I am still 
living in my mind like I don't have permission to do the things that other I see other people do. I have to like work through it to give myself permission. Mm-hmm. What a strange, it. it's like an affliction. I mean, and I've tried to pick it apart, you know, and your book is a big help with that too. Honestly, I went through mm-hmm. some of the things I was like, gosh, one of your chapters just really, I'm still working on it actually was <laughs> what uh, do I compose a, a compose a permission statement i was like you know this is a wonderful exercise for someone who is constantly doing that themselves and and it's almost like a program Mm -hmm. that just runs in the background yeah Yeah. you know has dreams but puts them on the back burner wants to do but says no this is so you have no idea how long i've waited to have these kinds of conversations i feel as though this book is it, it's like writing a letter to myself to the best friend that's within me mm. and so that i could have a conversation or a back and forth with with a mindset com, 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 uh, comparable or compatible with my own and the interesting thing is this i love how you said it's as though I, I don't give myself, I don't feel worthy, basically, is what you said. Right. I don't feel deserved. And the counter to that is this. I feel I deserve so much more than the opportunities I receive. For me, I, I like I am chomping at the bit. I believe my sense of self-worth, my sense of dignity, my sense of creativity my sense of have followed all the all the self-help gurus from the Dwayne Dyer and Louise Hay and the Carolyn Meese and all of them none of them look like me but and I know to some degree none of what they talk about is for people like me and that goes back to the conversation we were talking about in terms of class systems, who gets it, who doesn't. And so what's amazing is that I see this book as a potential, as someone said, a firebrand of a book that has the capacity to start a movement. Yet I wonder what will be, who will be that person to, to get a copy of this, to have it affect them the way it affects you me and the other people and for them then to give this book a cut in line to give this book that opportunity for a ted talk a ted woman talk you know it's like i think about all of the work i've done in this world to advocate for the voiceless but because i'm not a celebrity because i'm not a celebrity Oren. It's interesting because I am not a bona fide celebrity. They access the opportunity, you know, to have an opportunity. The only way to get to the Omega Institute is to have a best selling book. The only way to get a best selling book, best selling books are made, they're financed. You know, they don't just happen. Right, right. There are strategies and lots of money behind them. So it's really fascinating. I feel I I want that for my books, for my intellectual properties. I want them to be offerings 
that become contributions. And this young girl who's in, who grew up to be a woman in, on the bottom of a concrete floor in solitary confinement during the same time Nelson Mandela was on Robben Island, I would love to think that the grace, the temerity, the fortitude, the perseverance, the agency, the spiritual, the spiritual congruence would somehow have an opportunity to make a difference in the world, for the world, no different than those people who are also doing what I'm doing, but have the cachet, the opportunity. It's as though they're expected to go global. They're expected to have the audience. If we look at this and back it up, how many brown women, how many BIPOC women have you interviewed who have lived to tell and then turn it into a personal growth book and then say, this is for all people? How many? Yeah. That, that will tell you right then and there. You know, it's this, this industry is dominated by men, dominated by men. And the only two women I'm aware of that have any kind of cachet, Ayanna Van Zandt, no one really in the 25 years she's done what she's done, no one's given her a run for her money. Then you have Lisa Nickel, who got her cut in line from the movie The Secret. Mm. And it's been another 20 years. When did The Secret come out? So there, <laughs> right. Has, right, there has not been another BIPOC that I'm aware of that has situated themselves in this space as a voice for, po- for spirit, for possibility, for manifestation. So it's, 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 I feel I deserve because I believe that my spirit is, is synonymous with creativity, which is synonymous for spirit. And spirit doesn't ask permission. The flowers don't ask permission to grow. Caterpillars don't ask permission to move from caterpillar to pupae to butterfly, to monarch butterfly. So, yeah. Longtime Find the Good News listeners know that we often meander into topics on spirit, mysticism, religion, and wisdom traditions. If you are interested in these topics, I encourage you to seek out my new podcast, The Dawn Deacon with Brother Oren. On The Dawn Deacon Podcast, I consider my small place in the whole of creation, asking the old questions that have perplexed human beings for ages. Why are we here? Is there a reason for our existence? How do we balm our sufferings? enlighten our minds, and awaken our hearts? Are there powers, energies, and realities just beyond our ability to comprehend them? On the Dawn Deacon podcast, I share the teachings, practices, and perspectives I have gathered as I've made my varied, sacred, ordinary way. I hope you'll join me at the Dawn Deacon podcast so that we can traverse this landscape together. Just search The Dawn Deacon with Brother Oren in your favorite podcast app or search engine, then subscribe. 
Ah, I love that. That's some that's some fine riffing right there. You know, you, <laughs> that is. I like that. You you said something a second ago that just brought back a memory for me, and and then a word popped in my mind, and it was the word grooming. You know, and, and what you're describing, at least to me, is is there are people that are just simply groomed for six for the type of um, authority and success, which brings more success and privilege along the way. And there are so many more that just simply are not. I mean, knowing your story, which, again, I will say for me, you <laughs> A celebrity could be sharing this information, right? A, a bona fide celebrity could be sharing what you're sharing. Could, let's say they wrote the same books or the same book, this last book. I'll yeah. say that. Yeah. But they don't have your story. And when I hear it, I, I, I know my own nature as somebody who has broken little pieces that I've been trying to pick through for a long time. I don't trust it. Mm. I trust. I trusted you, though, and I immediately did. There was no hesitation. I wasn't waiting for you to prove yourself uh, for me to buy in because I just went, oh, I see what where That's you, awesome, I brother. see the truth. Does that make sense? Like there was a truth in all in all the pieces that you were sharing right now. My I rarely get my flesh rarely gets where spirit is clapping. People call it goosebumps. I call it when spirit recognizes itself. Mm. You know, have you heard those people who sing and we call it, uh, their voices are anointed where when they hit that note and they say something about Jesus, or they say something that, that raises the hair on our arms. My belief is that is when spirit, when pure unadulterated truth recognizes and resonates with pure unadulterated truth so when you say when you said what you just said is your uh, spoke to me to me that's the level of spirit i was able to tap into at that particular time when i was writing that and then your spirit recognized the truth and that that rises above race class all of these classifications that keep us all in our places, so to speak. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I get what you're saying. Gosh, you, you, we're on. We're just like synced up right now because I was just thinking about that today. I was like, you know, you're, and, and I'll forgive me if I don't say it exactly the same way that you put it in your book, but in your in your works too. I, I just, it was that is keeping us in our place. It's like. Something you're doing that is so different, I guess, than what I see, which I deem unhealthy, is we tell people who are broken or have pain, we're like, you know what? You need to get over that. You need to stop being emotional. You need to quit having those thoughts. You need to get your stuff together so you can go plug in. And everyone will, every, everything will go smoother for you. You'll get it, Your jobs will get better. Uh, you won't be so prickly. I mean, there's all these things. And look, I, I mean... <laughs> I hear it. I mean, I, I won't say that I don't do it. I mean, I just know that that's what we're all being told on some mass right. scale. And right. we're told to shove our brokenness aside, get over it. And I think right. what's changing, and especially with people like you, you're going, hey, no, no, no. Look, all this stuff, it's me, man. I mean, yeah. 
I'm not. Yeah, some of it's painful. A lot of it may be painful, but you just have to be okay with seeing that because that's gonna kind of be a part of your. It's it's the foundation for your growth. It's like the foundation for your path. What did you What did you call that title? Uh, grow through what you go through. Grow through what you go through. Wait, you know what you just had me think about right now? Hold on, just a second. Because you know I'm likely to bust out in a song thinking that <laughs> I should have been Mahalia Jackson. But I wanted to talk about what you just said. There is a song that is so amazing, and it's called Be Grateful. And the song says this. Um, God has not promised me sunshine. That's just the way it's going to be. But a little rain mixed with God's sunshine, a little makes me appreciate the good times be be grateful that's what's up is we weren't promised this and we weren't promised that but if we take that pain take the distress and be with it, sit with it, understand that it is okay that I too am going to come across pain. I too am going to bump into my edges mm. and understand that I am worthy. See, that's what worth is about. Don't get me to preaching nothing in here, brother. See, I like that. We're going to bump into our own edges. That's beautiful. So what if, what, what if, what if Jesus's crucifixion, not only is it about coming back, the definition of resilience, resilience should be replaced with resurrection. What if? The, re- the, 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 the crucifixion is also that we are worthy of our own pain. We are worthy of our own suffering. We are worthy to live this life. The curves, the edges, the thorns, the betrayals. Mm. What if that too is part of the story of the Christ? Yes. So that we don't have to be so quick to get away from it. But like the Christ, what if we allow the thorns to move through us? We allow the nails to pin us. And we stand hanging in the balance of what we thought we knew. Only to move through the depth, width, breadth, length of the pain of what we don't know. 
to get to the other side of that truth. And then from that place, that truth sets us free. But also, but also resurrects us from yesterday's limited view. What if? That's beautiful. It is. I mean, I, how often I went through this many years ago. You know, we have, you can have a spiritual renewal over and over again in short periods of time, even. And I used to, I go on this retreat, a personal retreat every year for a little weekend. And for years, I always looked for colors. I always said the colors on the trip would speak to me, right? And the color yellow was such an important part of it. And that color would speak. It had a voice almost to it. And when I would see it, it would say, know my joy. Right. And I would always focus on that. And then one year, about five years ago, I was on that same retreat and I happened to be walking under this crepe myrtle tree, which had red blossoms and they were falling all over the place. And it just come over me like a wave. Like it just, just almost joyful, but painful grief and and that color spoke the color red spoke on that retreat and it was like but it was like an added add-on it was like but don't forget my passion and it was like those things live together now for me on that retreat you know know my joy but don't forget my passion they're in balance together the all that blood and suffering and pain or whatever that may be for you all your personal micro crucifixions you go through are you better slow that down your personal micro persecution see to me it it's like a it's like a voodoo doll right it's like think about those personal micro persecutions that we believe were done unto us but also that we have done unto oh, us for sure yeah yeah nobody can be I've I've often thought this. No one can be as hard on me as myself. I mean, and a lot of people say that, and it can become cliche, but that's the truth. I mean, the thoughts I don't bring out into the light that I have, you know, those are my struggles. Those are the things that I wrestle with, you know, to, to – it's strange, too. I mean, and I'm sure you encounter people like this, but it's like – and maybe you've been this person, too. Yeah. You know, but where you you – you're so hard on yourself perhaps through or, or judge yourself so hard for, for any number of things, countless things over your life in small doses. Like it's like a little package full of little micro paper cuts, you know, and, but it all, but at the same time, you're, you're, you have this ability to sort of open up space for other people and let them bring those same types of things to you and help them, and sit with them with it and help them with it. But my own stuff, I have to like take somewhere else and go work on it on my own. I don't have that place that I've found yet where I can just pull that out and just show it all. I, I, it's God for me, it's God and, and in silent time and nature, I can go out there and put those things out and just wait, wail and weep at the top of my lungs. And that's healing. You know, I can just sort of vomit out all of that stuff out of my heart um, have you ever heard of the mankind project uh, i'm not familiar with it no oh my god well when we're done with this call i want you to run to their website the mankind project i'll i'll even send it to you in case okay 
Yeah, I'm t- based on what you just said, I am a firm believer that all of us, albeit personal or collective, we should have a rite of passage, all of us. Mm. And the Mankind Project, the rite of passage they've curated on behalf of every man, it's called New Warrior Training. Oh my goodness. It is some of the finest personal growth work ever. Because I've done the female version, it's called Her Healing Empowerment Release. And I am currently a Hoffman process teacher. I don't know if you're familiar I, with I that. I actually just started reading about it because of you. I was not familiar with it, and I was I was really fascinated right. with it. I said, okay, this is this fits right in line with what you are sharing. Right. Right. So so her, the female offshoot, if you will, of the Mankind Project is to this day some of the most progressive aggressive healing I have ever done. So is it like a, I mean, is it a, is it, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Is there some accountability involved in there? You have like a group that's there to. Whereas Hoffman takes the initiate, I'm just going to say the initiate, right? So as Hoffman takes the initiate through a seven-day reclamation psychoeducational experience, her, her involves, I'm going to be very careful in what I say here as not to intentionally appropriate any practice and represent it in a way that is not or less than the dignity it deserves. So I want to be very careful when I say this. So let me slow down. Okay. Part of the her experience, which for me was everything. I I wanted to heal my relationship with the masculine based on my own personal history. What One of the experiences that stood out for me is a tent was created. And inside of the tent, a hole was dug out in the earth. And these incredible rocks called the grandmothers were placed in the circle. And then one of the protocols is I was the antler tender, Mm. which that I turned the grandmothers when they needed turning to keep the heat. And so all of us women were in there, you know, in in whatever way we felt safe to be in there, you know, clothes, whatever, whatever. Each woman had a right to, to go into this tent with hot rocks on her own terms. Now, someone who is claustrophobic, abused, locked in closets, locked in solitary confinement. I wasn't down with getting on my hands and knees, crawling into a small hole, being locked in that small place and tending to some damn rocks. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm like, look, this is some white people shit up in here. What? <laughs> yeah. Well, what somebody that? called me. It was called enlightenment. Oh, okay. Oh, you better stop it, brother. Orin. I'm like, what is going on up in here? <laughs> but I got to tell you, I faced it all and let it all come in. And what I just told you about the solitary confinement and the being locked in closets, that was healed in that space. And one of the reasons why is on my own volition and on my own will, I went into that space. And every choice that I made to stay there was my choice and my choice alone. I didn't get into, oh, if I leave, I'm going to break the circle. Oh, if I leave, people are going to be upset. I stopped taking care of everybody. I thought, you know what? I'm not going to suffer at the expense of me holding some false sense of perfection for somebody else. Right. Yeah. I learned how I do things at, at my expense to privilege other people. But I don't always feel like I'm on the receiving end of that. And that led me to really look at my codependent patterns. And then what was unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life, the mankind project, because her is an offshoot of the mankind project men participate for the her weekend as men in service they are the cooks they are they are in they are in abundance to keep the women to be used in the way to be in service in the way that makes sense so while i was in this tent with a hole in the ground, with the grandmother rocks. Northeast, south, and west, a warrior from the Mankind Project kept watch. They never looked at us. They always faced out. I could cry right now. I had never in my life felt so safe with a man. Safe. Wow. Men are the ones who dragged me into solitary confinement. Men are the ones who dominated and overpowered me and locked me in closets and so on, so on, so on. So to have these men, I mean, just every kind of body you can think of, Conan, (laughs) like Conan, like straight up uh, dad bods, right? And just, you know, it was just everything I could have wished for. Like, it was the kind of thing that I thought every woman who has ever been violated in whatever capacity, this, this is the, this is the reckoning, you know, that, that I know, because I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a diehard enthusiast around self-reclamation and deep, deep, deep healing where spirit needs bone healing and i tell you if i could live the rest of my life curating architecting that kind of healing no amount of money in the world could rival that god everything you just shared is so I mean, you could go all, I could go off in so many different directions from there because, you know, I, I I haven't been through that exact same experience, obviously, but I understand it. I was, 
hearing you and I was going, you know, it, it reminded me of just how sometimes the people that loved you the most and gave you some of your best memories mm. are the mm. same ones that gave you some of the worst pain and trauma. And I, yeah. I've often thought that that's why it was so traumatic, you yeah. know, because yeah. it was hard for your mind to make sense of it, that this strange fusion of love and care with pain and, and hurt. Yeah. And so you, I've always felt like it crisscrossed things. Right. And so, you know, and it makes you to where when you do finally do see something that is formed in a healthy way. Yeah. You go, Oh, it mean, what you just did, it makes you, I mean, for me, it makes me weep. I mean, I'll stand in the corner and cry in private when I see something tender and healthy because I go, Oh, that's you, you sense it. Our spirit senses that it's good, you know? And what you just did there where you described like these men creating a safe space instead of being the, you know, the one causing the pain. I mean, that reaches into you in a a certain way, I'm sure. And it's healing, as you said. I mean, to be able to witness it and bear witness to it and go, oh, this is what safety feels like. This is is the normal state. This is the the base state of, of good health and good mental health and good love. I mean, just something that's not confusing. Yeah, yeah. Not confusing, and it creates a corrective experience. Corrective, yes, right, yes. So, wow. wow Powerful. This is, yeah, this has been something, Brother Oren. So you're in Louisiana? I'm down on the, the muggy, wet Louisiana coast. <laughs> How far from New Orleans? Uh, about three hours. I'm three hours uh, west of New Orleans. Well, I'm actually yep. right on, I mean, I say right on, but about 30 miles, 30 minutes from the Texas border. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I will be spending the month of October in New Orleans. Oh, really? Yeah, that's my plan, unless this Delta vi- uh, Delta variant keeps, uh, yeah, and we don't have a good vaccination rate in our state right now. Uh, right. You know, now I will say, though, people are going around like things are back to the way they were pre-pandemic. But I do know there is a a lot of anti-vaccination rhetoric uh, that's kind of taken root in our state. And I just don't I don't know. It's not looking great. Uh, But, you know, you can't what I've witnessed over the last year. And that's something else, too, I think, in the last year. I'm still struggling with that too. I'm I'm having a hard time. I say a hard time. I'm just hesitant to just jump right back into yeah. quote normal, you know, because uh, I just don't have my trust is broken right now with my right. fellow citizens. I just right. Well, first of all, brother, let's be let's be honest. There will never that normalcy that we once knew, that will always be shattered. And I think part of, I'm just positing, I have no longitudinal research evidence around this, but I think our quest, our zest, our desire to get back to what we had is what is getting us in this situation as it is. Mm. Yeah. 
I think you're we're right. Chasing, we're chasing something that's not there, as opposed to working with what we've got, understanding the fingerprints of Corona, and then creating a new way of being based upon what we know and how this virus is presenting itself. So that's I that's what I think. I, I think no. this we need a, a central nervous system slowdown. And I know that that's not an easy thing to do when you're talking about two hundred and seventy one million people in the US. Yeah. It's you know. true. I mean, it's it's a, it's a difficult thing. Our our area was hit by two hurricanes last year, and so you know, I've often wondered about that. Why we don't treat here anyway? Because with the hurricanes, you know, we we see it as a natural disaster. It's a force of nature. It's something to prepare for, take precautions, and then in an extreme situation, you board up and evacuate. Got it. Okay. Got why didn't? Why don't we? I just don't understand why we don't take that same approach in my area with the virus. You know, I mean, it just didn't make. And we still we didn't during the last year, and we still don't now. And I'm just not understanding what the difference is. I mean, I, I see them both as comparable. It's like one is they're both life threatening. Uh, there's things you can do to mitigate. There's precautions and then actions. Why we don't have the same attitude about it is just perplexing to me one i think because and, and well maybe this is maybe i'm wrong but i think the hurricanes haven't been politicized uh but i think the virus has and i think it's caused just a different yeah. kind of i don't know some kind of rift in, in our culture got it well my brother i have to get on another podcast. okay well hey it's podcast day Yes, it is. And you know what? This is uh, this is the most awesome sauce. You know, I'm grateful that you have opened your platform to me. Well, I'll put the links to your book in the show notes. That way everybody can get to it. And uh, hopefully we'll get a lot of people reading the book and get more people uh, in, in tune with your story. The folks in my area that maybe just don't know about it. I think it'd be a really great thing. It's good for me. I love it. And also let people know that I have a cool movie called... Yeah. And somebody's child the regina louise story that airs on lifetime and you can find it on uh amazon prime so you know they can get a whole lot of regina louise yeah. brother Oren, brother Oren parker oh my god b-o-p oh my god i have a new ni- nickname for you so you're <laughs> awesome thank you, you are too thank you for your work i appreciate you i'm more thankful every moment that i found Thanks for listening to my Beacon Series conversation with Regina Louise. If you'd like to learn more about Regina's work, please visit the link in the show notes. If you found something of use in this conversation, please share this episode with a friend, leave a review, or consider visiting findthegood.news donate, where you can help me continue this good news mission from the Louisiana Gulf Coast. I thank you for pressing play and for syncing up with this good news beacon.